here today. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be in our study. I love this time of year. There's a sense of anticipation and expectation. I'm looking forward to our Christmas Eve services coming up on Tuesday. And uh, 4 and 5.30, as Ryan mentioned, I hope you'll be there. And, and I love the way Ryan announced that. He said, maybe you have a family member or a friend who will be with you for the holidays. And they need to hear the real meaning of the season. And uh, I look forward that evening in a brief service, but a service where the gospel will be shared clearly in song and in word. And uh, again, I'm very anxious looking forward to that. Lisa was watching our granddaughter Callie the other day and it got quiet. And she thought, I wonder where Callie is. And uh, she was in the front room. She totally unwrapped a Christmas present, was playing with the toy we gave her. So the anticipation got the better of her, all right? But uh, most of us, we've got to hold on for a few more days. And we do know that in a few days, the world as we know it will basically shut down. I mean, it'll just come to a standstill. Stores will close. Offices will close. Freeways will empty out. We know that those once overflowing parking lots at the mall will be completely empty. And nearly everyone in our community will pause on Christmas to acknowledge that there's meaning found in that day, in that time. Now, sure, the meaning will vary from person to person. But one thing we all share in common this time of year is the expectation that this season brings. And each of us would love for this time of year, this season, to be the hap happiest time of the year, to uh, maybe be that most wonderful time of the year that we sing about. And again, it's different for everybody. I would imagine there are some children over there in their Toy Story Christmas today, and, and their expectation of a great Christmas is that they would get that gift they've been thinking about they've been dreaming about for them that would be an expectation that's met if on christmas morning they open up that gift maybe you're here today and and what has you looking forward with anticipation is the thought that you are going to give a gift to that special someone that you love and your thought is i hope they like it i hope it's what they wanted maybe you're like me i'm just praying for a lot of mashed potatoes for christmas lunch can i get an amen and that's kind of what i'm looking forward to today i got to some of your level today i'm preaching on mashed potatoes and you got as excited as you've been in a long time in church okay and so we all have these expectations and what's interesting to me about that is when we think of the first Christmas, there were almost no expectations. Nobody was counting things down. There were no celebrations in advance of the celebration. It was, it was something that would have been missed because no one was looking for it. It took everyone by surprise. And yet something so amazing happened when Jesus was born that the world has never again been the same. We literally use the birth of Jesus to mark time. It changed everything. Our studies this season have dealt with the manger. Every message, we've gone right back to the manger, the way in a manger. And we've seen that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus told us of himself. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And when we look to the manger, we know it wasn't just an ordinary baby. It was God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But today I want us to know that, that the miracle of Christmas did not begin at that point in time when Jesus was laid by a loving mother in the manger began in eternity past in the heart and mind of God God was working throughout all of the uh, human history towards that moment today I'd like to invest our time in this study surveying the Christmas narrative to see the hand of God how he worked 
We're going to look today to a familiar passage in Luke chapter 2. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read the word, Luke chapter 2. If you're glad you're in church, say amen. amen. That was a good amen for a Christmas Sunday, I suppose. All right, Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read in verse 1 where the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. When this taxing was first made, when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want you to go back to verse 1, if you would, please. And I just want you to notice the way the Christmas narrative begins in verse 1. It just simply says, it came to pass. It came, and it came to pass. I want us to think on this together today. Our Father, we're so grateful uh, for your love for us for the meaning behind this season. Lord, I pray that this day would be useful to help all of us in our hearts to have a deeper understanding of who you are, of what you have done, and of what you are doing. I pray that you'd encourage the discouraged today. Help us to see the perpetual hope that we always have in you. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The inspiration of God came to his prophet Malachi, and Malachi wrote that which God told him to write. He promptly set his pen down, and being the last book of the Old Testament, for the next 400 years, not another word came. It was as though heaven went totally silent. God had been active in delivering his word, and, and after the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, nothing for 400 years. The promise of the coming of Jesus was well prophesied in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, but but many fell away from the hope that God would actually intervene. Of those that held hope, there, there was great confusion as to what Jesus would do and be when he came. They had an idea that he would come as a conquering king. And of course, he came as a baby and was laying in a manger. Nobody expected God, the Son, to be born as he was. Nobody expected Jesus as he came and all those, the specifics of his birth were prophesied in great detail in the Old Testament. His arrival came as a great shock to people when they came to understand who he was. As the silence broke, God again began to speak in clarity. 
In fact, one of the names of Jesus is the Word. That's a name that that goes along with Jesus. He is the Word. In in John chapter 1, for example, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. and Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus Christ, God the Son, has been called the Word, and He came as a light into a dark, dark world. Jesus is the Word. But we do know that in the course of time, He began to use His words, and an impact was made. By the age of 12, we see Jesus sitting in the temple and he's, he's sharing things of the truth of God and people were astounded by what it was he was saying. In fact, in Luke 2 and verse 47, the Bible says, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. By the age of 30, thousands were gathering to hear the word as he spoke the word. In fact, Jesus in John 6 made this statement. He said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Word, He spoke the Word and He said, let me tell you about these words I'm speaking. They are spirit and they are life. The words of Jesus brought great change. But as that first Christmas came to pass, it left truths with us that can change our lives today as well. We consider that which came to pass and and think of the way in in a manger we find a revelation of God's message. It brings hope, it brings comfort to those who enter into this truth and take it as their own. As we think of the Christmas narrative today, the first element I'll share with you is that as we look, we see God's handiwork through His preparation, His handiwork. Now, I suppose I could have said there we see God's hand, but I love this word handiwork. It's, it's an old word, I know, but it's a Bible word. The, the Bible says, for example, in Psalm 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The, the idea in that word is that when you see someone's work, you can see their hands all over it. And Christmas testifies that the way in the manger did not begin on Christmas God had his hand involved in the preparation in making everything just so, so that when Jesus was born, it would be the perfect time. In amazing ways, we see how he worked. History tells us that the nations of the East, Persia, they'd lost their power. And as they did, they lost their hope. A historian who lived about 30 years after Jesus died. He was born, a man by the name of Suetonius, he, he wrote this as he studied the time of the birth of Jesus. He, he wasn't studying Jesus per se, but, but as he looked at that time, he wrote these words. He said, an ancient and definite expectation had spread throughout the East that a ruler of the world would, would about that time arise in Judea. For whatever reason, a, a man who was not a follower of Jesus, he reflected on that moment. He said, you know, as the East lost their power and they lost their hope, they were developing a, a hunger for someone to come. In fact, we know the wise men were from the East and they followed that longing in their hearts along with the star that God had revealed, all of that testifying that God had been stirring in the hearts of men. In fact, as the first church was started shortly after Jesus ascended back to 
heaven. People from the east were present testifying that God had been working in their hearts. As the east lost their power, Greece claimed it. Alexander the Great is a name most of us would be familiar with. And, and Alexander the Great took Greece's power to the ends of the earth and he provided something that was so important to the eventual spread of the gospel. He brought about a global language. A global language. Missionaries for Jesus would travel the world over and they would never lack for an audience. There would always be someone to understand as they shared the love of God. The Apostle Paul, he spoke on Mars Hill in Athens. He was in the Mamertine prison in Rome, and he was everywhere in between. And when he would stand and teach and preach, people could understand him because God had been doing a work in the world. In verse 1 of our text, we read this. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You know, I've heard of this happening. I've dreamed it would happen to me. So far it hasn't. But I've heard every now and then someone will have a, an uncle they never knew. You know, some rich uncle who died and leaves all the money to them. How many of you think that would make for a pretty Merry Christmas if you got word someone you never knew left you a million dollars, you know? That'd be a pretty good day. Well, the Bible speaks here of, of Caesar Augustus, and he had something even stranger and bigger happen to him. He had an uncle die and posthumously, after his death, adopted him into his family. And his uncle was a man by the name of Julius Caesar. And this young man, who had been orphaned as a teenager, was instantly made into the leader of the republic of rome he grew in power in fact he was more of a tyrant certainly than his uncle and and the republic of rome and it changed into the roman empire and certainly his autocratic dictatorial ways hurt many people but it provided the world with some things that they didn't have before then there was a common government and there was a well-organized system there was a network of roads that were brought in that missionaries of the gospel would soon traverse and and the well-known highway called the via Myris. it was it was a road that literally made israel a land bridge between all of europe and and northern africa all of the world would be crossing through the very place where jesus christ was born it's incredible to think that when caesar augustus showed off his power by declaring a global tax the tax he was calling for, some have called his personal slush fund. Most of us don't like paying taxes, and certainly we'd have a problem if we had a tyrant leading us who was holding a tax just to, just to pad his own personal bank account. It's incredible to think that when he was showing off his power by declaring a tax, that he was actually serving as a pawn in the hands of God to orchestrate the events that would lead this young couple about 90 miles from their home in Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem so that at the exact moment in time they would be where God had already prophesied that they would be the realities of a global unease and the loss of hope and a common language and a common government and newly established roads for commerce they were all necessary elements in the work of Christ and the church that grew so quickly because of it all and, and I'm telling you all of this today because you know so often we have a tendency to read the headlines in our day and see the chaos in our day and the, the loss of hope and, and sometimes the tyranny and the madness that goes along with it. And we can wonder, where is God in all of this? And friends, Christmas reminds us 
It means that God is still in control, that God uses the affairs of this world to prepare us for what is to come next. Yes, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus Christ, God the Son, He was born. And he's been likened unto the Lamb of God, and he was laying in a feeding trough for animals where lambs would feed, and he was first watched over by shepherds. Yes, he came as the Lamb, but I want you to know today that he's coming again one day, not as the Lamb, but as the Lion, and he's, he's coming to do that which the Bible told us he ultimately would do. He'll right all the wrongs, and he will rule, and he will reign. And we can be comforted today by the thought that God is ever working behind the scenes with his glory and our good in mind. The birth of Christ came at just the perfect moment. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The Bible says it was the fullness of time. It was just the right moment. God's handiwork of preparation brought it to that point. The entire world in the time of Christ thought Caesar Augustus was large and in charge. But as we pull back the veil and view it through the lens of Scripture, all of Christmas testifies to the greatness of our God and His power to orchestrate events. The second element we'll see in this passage today is, is this. We see help through God's provision. Help through God's provision. If your Bibles are still open, you can join me in verses 6 and 7. The Bible says here in Luke 2, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This was the most incredible moment the world had ever known. And what strikes me is when I think of the enormity of the moment, how simple it really was. What we have is just a young couple. Mary almost certainly was just a teenager. They didn't have much. They didn't know much. They were away from home. They wouldn't have known anything about babies. That hadn't been a part of their experience. When, when Mary gave birth, no doubt she would have been tired. And there was some place needed so that the baby could be laid down. And I, I can just imagine in my mind's eye, maybe it didn't happen exactly this way, but I, I can imagine Mary looking at Joseph like, hey, would you do something with this baby? I need to rest for a moment. And Joseph is looking at Mary like, I don't know what to do. And, and then he looks at the manger and then looks at Mary again and kind of nods like, I don't know, you know, what do you think of this? And Maybe he lays a blanket down, and, and finally he gets, he gets this baby boy, God the Son, and, and he lays him in a feeding trough for animals. And I'm sure that as a father, Joseph hoped to do better. That was all he could do. But when there was a need for a place to lay Jesus, God provided a manger. Can you imagine how small that couple felt? How small? 
They knew by this point who Jesus is. They wanted the best for him. In fact, eight days later, the Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple where he he would be dedicated, as we would say, a a ceremony to acknowledge that that children are a gift from God. And what's amazing about that trip they made to the temple, uh, there were 12 tribes that made up Israel. And if what I read is correct, they say the tribes in general had abandoned that process. Only the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe, was, was still taking new born boys to the temple for this process of dedication Uh, we know that joseph he was not of the tribe of of levi he was of the tribe of judah but he wanted to do what god had asked and god's requirement as they went to the temple is that there would be an animal for a sacrifice and and they they didn't have the wherewithal to produce an animal but god in his word said you know if you're really really poor instead of of a of a lamb you can bring two birds Two birds. The Bible says it this way in Luke 2, verses 22 and 24. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now let's just for a moment put ourselves in the situation where we find Mary and Joseph, all they wanted to do was that which was right. It was their heart. They just thought, God, what have you said? That's what we want to do. They just wanted to please God. And it seemed as though they had nothing. But at each turn as their lives unfolded as as new parents, they found that God would come through and provide for them. In fact, even later, they had to flee to Egypt for a time. God provided for them there. Perhaps it was the gifts of the wise men. but, But God prepared. He's faithful to take care of those who follow him. I remember when we were starting the church, Uh, Lisa and I were just glad to be a part of any good thing that was happening, and some of my greatest memories come from those earliest of days, and and yet there were days when, uh, as we were getting going, we we didn't have a whole lot as a church, and personally, we didn't have a whole lot either. In fact, when our church got started, Lisa and I literally gave everything we had to rent buildings and print invitations and to do everything necessary to get a church started, And, and I want you to know that I was doing what I believed God would want me to do. I think it would be foolhardy to just do that unless you truly felt this is what God's leading me to do but I've got to tell you there were times as a man in those early days where I'd go to the fridge and open it up nothing in there nothing you'd open the cupboard nothing there you 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 would just kind of look around and, and you'd realize man we've got absolutely nothing and there were moments where I felt like man I'm failing as the as the provider here but what we learned is this God is faithful what's important for us to do is that which he would have us to do and to trust God with the outcome. And here as we're now in our 22nd, Chris, uh, 22nd Christmas at Coastline, I can tell you definitively, I have zero regrets for those times I followed God because I've learned that he's always faithful to provide that which I need in the moment of my need. Now, I've got a few regrets and times where I didn't do what God would want me to do, but I can tell you definitively, my experience lines up with Scripture, which, of course, Scripture trumps my experience. But my experience is this. Every time I've sought to faithfully do what God has called me to do, God has faithfully come along beside to provide what was needed in the time of the need. Mary and Joseph, they knew that lesson. They learned it as well. They did the best they could with what they had, and they learned that's enough. That's enough. In fact, we later read of 
of Jesus in Luke 2 and verse 52, the Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The Bible tells us here that Jesus developed. He developed mentally. He developed physically. He developed spiritually. And he developed socially. Jesus is all God. We've covered that, the deity of Christ. But he was all little boy at the same time. And he had much to learn, and he had, he had Mary and Joseph there who were helping him. And the testimony of his life is that he came along as he should. You get the picture from this, that although his mom and stepdad Joseph were not perfect, they got the job done. God provided for them. I have no idea what's awaiting you in 2020. New year, a new decade. I've got a lot of hopes and dreams. I've got some goals established. But, but I also know... That, that in the shadows of the future, there are things that I can't see that I'm entering into. I don't know what I'm going to face in the next year, the next decade, nor do you. In a few days, the holidays will be behind us. Our real lives, if you would, will, will begin again. And Christmas reminds us that God not only prepares, but he's our provider. I love the way Paul wrote of it in Ephesians 3. He said, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Paul said, You need to know something about the Christian life. It's not about power you conjure up. It's about a loving God who, who wants to do this work. He provides. He, he works in us. To those in Philippi, he wrote it this way. He said, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He said, It's God that helps you formulate those desires that are pleasing to him and he gives you what you need to get it done i'm telling you today one of the great takeaways from christmas is god will make a way for you as you follow him and if god can use two young people to do what they had never done in mary and joseph god can use you to do what you've never and done uh, never have done as you faithfully follow him here's the final thought i'll share with you this morning we see hope through god's promise Let's look to verse 11 in our text. The Bible says here, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we've seen God's preparation and provision, but here we see the best part of it all, which is his promise. I love in verse 11, uh, we find that Jesus is introduced as our Savior. In fact, the name Jesus literally means God will save jesus came to be a savior and we have his promise on this and we have to next wonder saved from what if he's a savior what is it i need to be saved from and and the bible tells us that he will save us from our sins our sinfulness and the consequence of it all as I, as I often say, he came to us because we could never get to him. He left his heavenly home so that through him one day we could have a home in heaven. I want you to think of that. Jesus was born as a baby so that we could be born again spiritually and have a relationship with him. Jesus declared in the very well-known verse in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His love compelled Him to give. And that's why we give gifts at Christmas. It all goes back to a recognition that He came as that gift. Christmas. In Luke 2, this first Christmas, the Bible says it came to pass. 
It's 2,000 years behind us. In just a few short hours, man, a couple days, this Christmas we're heading into will have come to pass. But my prayer is that this Christmas would be a time where we can be encouraged in the meaning of it all. And for those who've never personally received God's gift of salvation, that this would be a time where we say, Lord, I don't want to squander or waste or miss this Christmas what you have for me. In Romans 6, the Bible says, for the wages or the penalty of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says we're all sinners and because of our sin there's a consequence. Spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. But the Bible says that God has for each of us a gift that he has prepared. And The next logical question is how do I get that gift from God? The Bible answers that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 where we read that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus is our Savior. He has come to save us. And when we by faith accept the reality that we're all sinners, but Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, when we trust that he not only died, but rose again from the dead, and ask him to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says every time he'll come through, He'll answer that request and give us the gift of eternal life. A few days ago, my wife Lisa uh, traveled up north a little bit to meet up with her brother. He lives in northern Orange County, and so they found a middle place in Irvine so they could get together, do some Christmas shopping, and, and uh, just enjoy, enjoy the time with one another. As, as they got home, she was telling me, it was great, and we talked about this and went there, and, and then she told me about a really nice dinner they had, and I asked the kind of question that I would typically ask at that point. I asked, who paid? Who paid? And she said, I did. Which prompted me to ask a follow-up question. <laughs> How did you do that? Now, I don't think I'm a stingy guy, but uh, uh, we, we seek to live by a budget in our house, which means at the end of the month, we don't want to say, where did all the money go? At the beginning of the month, we want to have a talk with our money and say, you're going to go there, you're going to go there, you're going to go there. And before the month ever begins, man, we've got the whole thing laid out. And uh, I knew we hadn't told any of our do dollars to go to a restaurant to help feed her brother. And, and she said, I paid. And Lisa could see this Christmas stress coming over me. Not only is it Jesus' birthday, I've got two daughters. Both of them got a birthday this month. It's my wife's birthday today. This is a pretty stressful time of year in the chapel household. And she could just see the pressure mounting as uh, I thought, oh great, you paid and I knew it was a nice dinner. She said, Steve, relax. That doesn't always relax me, by the way. <laughs> she said, Steve, relax. She said, I was digging in my wallet looking for a receipt and I found a gift card I'd forgotten about. And she said, I used that gift card to help me and my brother have a good dinner together. You know, there's value in a gift card, but there's no value to you if you don't take advantage of it and use it. Millions of dollars every year come and go in gift cards that are given and they're immediately lost and never redeemed. There is no question today that God loves you. He's demonstrated it. He gave himself. There's no question of that. There's no question that God will save you today if you don't know you have a relationship with him. He has in no uncertain terms made it clear that he absolutely will. 
It's one thing to know of the gift card. It's another thing altogether to use it. And maybe you're here today and the facts that I've shared are not strange to you. Most of what I've said, you, you probably thought, I, I know these things. I, I'm somewhat familiar with the Christmas narrative. Well, let's make it a whole lot more personal. This was not a corporate message from God to the church. This was a personal message of love from God to you. 